Dr. Durst, and welcome to the podcast. And today we have a special podcast, and I have a guest with me. And we're going to start talking about some very exciting um, injury repair and how to make that happen faster. So I'm going to let Dr. Spencer introduce himself. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Never appreciate it. Uh, Edwin Spencer, I'm an orthopedic surgeon specializing in shoulder and elbow surgery. And uh, Kind of got into uh, the regenerative medicine thing, into the I don't, and injury repair thing once I had my knee replaced, which was about 15 months ago. So that's how we got together. Um, and I think my, my wife was coming here before that, and uh, you'd mentioned something to her about that. And so that's when, uh, that's when I came in and said, all right, Deb, tell me a little bit about what this regenerative thing is. What can you do to, to make me heal better? heal faster, heal quicker? How can I get my my muscle recovery better? And um, and so... Well, and I think since then, it's been kind of a nonstop because, again, Dr. Spencer didn't mention it, but he is very, you know, deep and focused into research and so looking into things. And so if he can see that there might be other ways of addressing stuff, you're always looking into it and pushing us for even answers and, and how to do it. So... I think that's huge, and that's one of the reasons why we're sitting down. So he has a great deal of knowledge, and again, he's one of the U.S. top, you know, elbow and shoulder surgeons. So I think that with all the injury that you see, you learned about this from a personal, you know, perspective first. And so how do you think it changed how your surgery went? when you had it? Yeah, it's a little hard to tell because I've got an end of one, right? I've got one knee I've had replaced. Uh, my conversations with uh, the surgeon replaced my knee, uh, the therapist, and just conversations with, with other people that have had total knee arthroplasties and kind of gauging, you know, where they are, how long, how long it took them to get there. Um, I, I think I recovered more quickly. Um, and I think that is in part due to the, to the peptides. And uh, certainly in part due to a uh, major part due to the, the surgeon that actually did the surgery. And I know my knee is not going to be perfect. I've had four previous surgeries on this thing. So when I had it replaced, I, I'm going for better. I'm not going for great. I'm going for better. And it is a lot better. And my strength really came back um, much more quickly than even my therapist thought that it would. And she was always pulling me back, and that's her job. And that's why I tell a lot of our therapists, that's your job with my patients too. Sometimes it's throttling them back a little bit uh, because we know about the traditional biologic pathways of healing. And if we transition that to like a rotator cuff repair, which is what I do a lot of, and that's a lot of middle-aged folks, we have a uh, kind of a traditional timeline, but I just saw a lady today that she was on that TB 500 and she was playing tennis by, you know, three and a half, four months, which is atypical. And I'm she not, had a shoulder, was her shoulder? Right. She had just, a rotator cuff repair. Okay. She had a rotator right. cuff repair. So I'm not saying that that is always going to be possible. That's an outlier. And you never want to take one outlier and say, well, this is, this is what we can expect here. That's not, that's not how you do things. Um, but I think that we now need to have start need to start having more conversations about having um, a good diet beforehand, having a high protein diet afterwards, uh, at least maximizing yourself from a hormonal standpoint to include uh, vitamins like vitamin D, um, and then you can have further conversations. All right, once you have kind of the normal stuff that's that's maximized. How can we go above and beyond? I think that's where peptides kind of come in. But there's a lot that goes into diet even before and after. Well, and I think peptides is just one aspect of it for sure. 
But I think as we started to look into this more, I learned a ton, even about the nutrition leading up to surgery. So in vitamin C, vitamin D, you're right, all the supplements you can do, you know, vitamin D technically still being, you know, a pro-hormone, but there's so much you can do and how important those levels are at the time of surgery. But I would love to, and that's what we plan to do, a series on just different topics. And again, if anyone has questions as we start to discuss, we're more than willing to deep dive into those and further podcast. Um, So, but this started with your personal, you've had some patients But again, have we, um, like adding all the different adjuncts, you know, is a relatively new approach, it seems, as I'm starting to learn more about it, because it's not something I recall learning much about, even as I was educating on regenerative stuff, how important, you know, different nutrients are prior to. So what are your thoughts on, you know, the different things that you would want to see a patient optimize for prior to a surgery? Right. So I just had this conversation the other day with a patient. And the reason was, you know, we've done some research together. You gave me some of the papers that where you'd done research on PubMed. And one of the things I didn't even realize is that carb loading before surgery, and I used to do triathlons and a lot of athletes talk about carb loading beforehand. I had no idea that that would help with surgery and reduce how much muscle loss you're going to potentially have. But it makes sense. You know, uh, you've got three sources of fuel, right? You've got carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, right? So if you exhaust one of those or two of those, well, you're going to start eating into one of the other ones. And so if you've got a carb load and you've got a lot of glycogen stores, and the glycogen is the that's the means by which we can package the glucose and have it accessible. It's in the liver, but most of it's in the skeletal muscle. You exhaust that. Uh, what do you go to eat next? Well, your body is going to take fats and, and protein and gets its protein from the skeletal muscle. So within 48 hours, uh, one of the studies you sent me, within 48 hours, there was demonstrable muscle loss after a total knee arthroplasty. And it's pretty significant after I five days. I was completely shocked by that information. It's not something I thought of before, but... But even carb loading up to the time of surgery, right? Right. So carb loading up to the time of surgery and then looking at the high protein diet afterwards and the amino supplementation and showing that the amino supplementation reduced that muscle loss by 20% and increased your your protein synthesis by 40%. That's huge. And that's just with amino supplementation. That's not with anything that's... um, that's experimental, dangerous, anything like that. This is this is Nu- nutrients. Yeah, this is nutrients. You're just getting yeah, yes. you're getting more yeah. macronutrients mm-hmm. and and it just makes all the sense in the world. But you can do a lot yourself just by I mean, I'm not saying that this is what everyone should do. This is what I do. What works for me is not gonna work for you maybe, but I do a protein smoothie every morning. And so um I've been doing that for years, but pure collagen, you can get it from bulk from so many different places. I do a plant-based one, but then I also do a bovine collagen one, and the plant-based one has probiotics in it. And uh, those are things you can do just to promote health. And so I kind of see us doing some podcasts where we're talking about injury and injury recovery, surgery, surgery preparation, but then how do we maintain ourselves as we get into middle age? Because, you know, like or not, that's where we are. You can tell with my silver yeah. hair. Well, I think that that's one of the main things that brings us together is <clears throat> as we age, you know, what I, what I see every day is as we age, you know, we're noticing changes and healing and injury 
is one of those. Like again, over and over again, every day you're seeing more injury and you can probably talk to shoulder and elbow surgery and how that increases with age or, you know, injury does and how the repair takes longer after. I don't know if there's, I'm sure that you can probably tell how somebody might do, you know, based on status when you see them and potentially also age. Oh yeah. You can totally pick that up. Um, just visually, you're going to have a, an assessment and you don't want never want to, um, I guess, measure or judge a book by its cover. But I mean, there are certain things that you can, you can kind of get a visual assessment of this guy's, you know, eating donuts and, and drinking mm-hmm. beer every day, or this guy's actually working out and, and drinking smoothies and other stuff every day. Like, so you can, you can sort of pick up who's, who's healthier and who's not. But there are some biologic, there are some metrics, serologic metrics that we can use. Albumin is, the, is one of the proteins that we can measure in the blood. That has been shown in total knee arthroplasty. Those that have a lower albumin, they get higher infection rates and more complications. But then vitamin D is also, I think, just a measure of overall health. And that paper that you sent me was, I think it was like 50% of, of us, maybe more, 50 to 80% of, of Americans are deficient in vitamin D. I was when I came in and I thought I was a pretty healthy guy. Come to find out, oh, I needed some supplementation too and various other things. And so you can do what you think are all the right things. Like I said, the smoothies, but I still needed uh, extra supplementation in other areas. It's hard to, I think, take in all, everything, all the macro and micronutrients that you need. You, you, in a diet. Right, in, right, right. In right. diet alone. Right. Yeah. No, so I think that supplementing them, well, that's one of the things that we'll talk about again, amino acids. Like if you're doing that, you can take it in, in a diet. But you can do it in amino acid, free amino acid supplementation, but you can also do it in injectables. You know, that's another potential. Right. You know, especially if they're not taking in much after. But um, no, I agree. I think that if we can hit some key points and things that people can do at home and know about, um, like vitamin D levels at the time of surgery and how important, you know, something that I didn't know even when we started talking about this. Um, but if you look at studies, and that's an easy thing that's measurable that you can take at home and yeah. prep for surgery. And what was and what was one of the biggest things that we saw with COVID? Oh, yeah. Obesity and vitamin yeah. D levels. And so people mm-hmm. were getting vitamin D in the, in the hospitals. And mm-hmm. so it, it, vitamin D is an immunomodulator. And so the vitamin D enzyme receptors are found on T cells and B cells. And so it's very important in the active and in, in the innate immune system. So there's, there's that part of it too, preventing infection. And that's, that's the low hanging fruit. How do we prevent complications? Then there's the next level is how do we accelerate the healing process? How do we get better quicker? Yeah. So those are, those are two different avenues, you know, one's the low hanging fruit, the other's we're, we're, we're really we're progressing, yeah. <clears throat> getting a little progressive with it. So, no, I agree. You know, so how to prep for surgery, how to recover quicker, but also, um, you know, maybe progressive, non-traditional ways of doing that as well as what they can do at home. Yeah. And there's different to. exercises, uh, too. Mm-hmm. So there's the exercise nutrition part of it. So you kind of alluded to we're we're getting older and nothing really gets better except our wisdom we think uh, although we i kind of doubt myself there. uh but there's the, all the tendons and and the bones are made out of collagen and so we um certainly need to take that 
more. We need to take that into account and have the macronutrients that help build the collagen. But then there's also muscle metabolism. How do we improve the tendon health? How do we not get rotator cuff tears? Because the science would tell us that when you're 60 or over, you got a 35% chance of having a rotator cuff tear. 70, it's 45%. Those are the things that we all want to hear about, like the the numbers. Like, again, how much it increases your risk of injury after a certain age. So the same loads placed across a a tendon, in this case, a tendon that's not as healthy, is going to induce a tear. Are there better ways of doing exercises, lighter resistive exercises, different types of resistive exercises, maybe using a Tabata technique? Those are things that can really help in how to do those exercises so that you can increase the blood flow of the tendon, have the tendon actually demand more so there's more material in there to include the proteoglycans that make them stronger. So those are the, that's a whole other avenue this of how to maintain. This is what I like hearing all about, like things I didn't know. And what about even lubrication? I've heard a lot of patients come in and talk about like joints being more lubricated or... I'm not sure where you're going with that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was sticking with the ortho part. Gotcha. Yeah. Good. Yeah. But they um, talked about that, you know, again, and I've not even heard about that you know, and how to keep tendons, ligaments, joints more lubricated. And I don't know if that's even exist or if it does, if this is kind of what you're talking about, more exercise related, stretch related. I'm talking about um, increasing Mm -hmm. the strength and the blood flow to the tendons. I'm talking about increase or maintaining, at least maintaining your muscle mass. Because as we get older, we actually lose myofibrils. The sarcomeres stay about the same, but you lose the myofibrils in the sarco- inside the sarcomeres. So how do we maintain, at least maintain the muscle mass that we currently have so we don't reduce that? How do we maintain our bone structure? Because every year after the age of 35 to 40, you're losing bone mass. How do we maintain that through diet and, and how do we main that, maintain that through exercise? And so there are various uh, exercises. We'll, we'll point some of that stuff out. Yeah, no, I think too. doing, addressing all of those. So, so do you think that education traditionally, like when you were in um, orthopedics and you did um, your, you were at med school at Duke, graduated mm-hmm. Duke, and then were at University of Michigan. And I didn't really know that until recently because yeah, I'm at Ohio, Ohio State. State stuff, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm a Buckeye. Um, but I won't hold it against him. He's actually was only, he didn't stay there, right? Yeah, that was five years. Um, do you think that we learn that in, um, in medicine? Like how to maintain, how to exercise, how, because we can, I can get to a lot of points that, Hormones play a role in a lot of that. But again, it's not something that we learned as far as traditional education, hormones, nutrition, fitness, and maintaining muscle mass, bone structure as we age. We didn't learn a lot of that uh, because it was more geared towards finding pathology, determining if that pathology needs is, needs operative or non-operative treatment and how to do that. So it was really problem-based. Uh, it wasn't preventative-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in medical school, you had to learn muscle physiology, bone physiology, tendon physiology, and stuff like that. But you kind of, you learned it, and then at the end of the test, you sort of did one of these things, knocked all the information out, and Correct. now it's time for yeah. other stuff, right? Um, so it if you were really interested in it, if you're into it, you retained it. If there's a reason for you to retain it, then you would. Uh, much So problem-based learning tends, I think, tends to cement things a little bit better. Um, 
and when you're very interested, that's problem-based learning. So I think that uh, there wasn't a lot to answer your question. There wasn't a lot focused on preventative preventative medicine. And I think that's one of the reasons we're talking right now, because I think as you start to progress in a practice and you see different things, then um, that's how I ended up doing regenerative medicine, you know, kind of anti-aging is in hormone replacement is that I didn't know it existed until I knew it existed. And it wasn't um, a traditional pathway. But so when we talk about muscle retention, bone loss, you know, as we age and I think that's a lot of what we're talking about. Injury, you know, where um, they're going to increase their percent of injuries. Like you said, rotator cuff, what, 35%? Yeah, once you're over 60. 60. Yeah. Yeah. So I think most of that comes down to hormone decline, right? A lot of it does. And then we could also address the acute injuries in young athletes because we see a lot of those Mm -hmm. as well. How do we accelerate the recovery of those guys? Getting them back on the court, on the field, on the diamond, because it's super important for them. It's Mm -hmm. super important if they've got uh, scholarships. And uh, I mean, it's just athletics are a good part of living. If if you, that has to be part of a normal regimen for you is physical activity. So I think that we're talking about, you know, those perimenopause, menopause, andropause, like whatever it is, as we're aging, injury related, how to prevent and how to repair faster, but also how to repair faster and young and healthy and very athletic, which I think is huge right now because we get lots of inquiries just about peptides related to that. Like, how can I get back to performing again, whatever it is that they're doing. And performing Mm -hmm. better. Yeah, but you're exactly Mm -hmm. right. We didn't get a lot of that in medical school. So now I think it's becoming um, more and more popular. People are talking about it on other podcasts and other media. you know, residency, we just obviously, we're just trying to learn how to operate and not to suck. You know, what's your job today? Don't suck, you know, don't screw this up. So are you finding um, that the non-operative approach is becoming a more... Yeah, commonly I think, utilized. Yeah, there's approach. more biologics that are being mm-hmm. used in non-operative approaches. So we're we're trying to leverage the body's ability to heal itself. Where do we mm-hmm. find those cells that can heal themselves? Uh, the stem cells inside the bone marrow. How do we stimulate the current cells that are there using platelet-rich plasma, which mm-hmm. is basically accelerating and putting a lot of growth factors, your own growth factors, fourfold the number of growth factors into an area where you want to create a healing response. And so those those growth factors happen to reside in the platelets. And so we're doing a lot with biology, with leveraging the patient's own biology to heal them, young and old. So, and I think we'll talk about that too. So we're going to do a whole series on different aspects of this. So, you know, hormone optimization for those patients that are having issues with healing and increased injury as we age peptides to accelerate healing, you know, again, vitamin D, vitamin C, albumin, and even supplements like creatine. So like in questions that you guys pose in comments, so please share anything you might want to hear about because we're willing to deep dive into it. But also those regenerative procedures such as PRP, you know, fat cell transfers, whatever Mm -hmm. else um, is out there, and even maybe some adjuncts to physical therapy. What else? Because there's lots of different nutrition. That's the big one. Yeah, nutrition and then uh, I think various exercise Exercise, programs and rehabilitative programs. No, so we'll... So those are the things that we plan on discussing over a series of podcasts. So just let us know what you want to hear about. And otherwise, we're going to go ahead and dive into like maybe each one as a separate focus. And um, if you have questions beforehand, that would be a good thing just to drop in the comments, share 
and with friends and subscribe if you want to get notifications and you like the content that we're putting out. And otherwise, Dr. Spencer will be with us again, will be with me again, doing lots of different topics. And again, he is active. He's fit. He's a top surgeon. He's excellent at what he does great bedside manner we've I've seen a ton of his patients every no. single one of those words. we've seen a ton of his patients and they absolutely love you know love him so i think that we'll get a ton of information and it'll help you guys know how to keep yourself healthy and prevent injury and then also repair faster if you do get one so anything else you would like to share before we wrap up this one no i'm gonna have to learn your background so i can Oh. <laughs> I, I did look a little bit. So he actually graduated from North Carolina State University, then Duke Medical School, and then University of Michigan. And when I found that out, I was shocked. I mean, I like him so much. I can't believe that I didn't know that he was at University of Michigan for a while. So go Bucks! Yeah. And this last year was rough. The last two years were rough with that for the Buckeyes, so yeah, I must say. But anyhow, all right, well, we will see you guys again, and thank you for listening.